May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And all of God's children said, Amen. Let's suppose you're preparing to watch your favorite television program. Or maybe you like to watch something that's on a streaming service like Hulu or Netflix or one of those others. And you've decided, well, I can still watch. I don't need to pay the subscription fee. But you know what happens when that happens on streaming services or even regular television. You start getting commercials, right? Usually a commercial might pop up about mouthwash, let's say. The ad might show a woman leaning down in to pet her dog and then the camera zooms in for a close-up of her teeth. And suddenly we're aware that this woman has bad breath and pretty bad gums. Then we also see in small print off to one side, but very visible, actor portrayal. Why do we see this message? Well, think about it a little bit. It's because mouthwash companies have a hard time finding real people. Real people who use their mouthwash and are willing to go on TV to talk about the diseased and ugly gums that they have. And the actors in these portrayals also want viewers to know, hey, I am acting. I had to sit through two hours of makeup to look like this. You see this actor portrayal disclaimer in other ads as well, right? Promos for shoe inserts, foot fungus powders, medications for a host of embarrassing health problems. Real people are not lining up to endorse these products, no matter how beneficial they are in their lives, how helpful they are in their lives. On the other hand, some companies don't have any trouble finding real people, not actors, to endorse their products. Whether it's Dove Soap, or a car company, or eHarmony, or some other dating app, real people can be found who praise and endorse these products and companies. Why? Well, if we're convinced that the person in love with this shampoo is real, and an average person like us will try it, we'll be willing to buy it. We'll put cash down for stuff because a person of our own tribe and status, if you will, loves that particular product. Not some phony actor or celebrity. People call this social realism. And it's obviously been given birth by social media. All the platforms which have everyone's authentic ideas and opinions and feelings all revealed. Social media, we know, though, is a web of gossip and innuendo and outrageous claims. But it's our gossip, our innuendo, our outrageous claims, and we love it, right? And we believe each other, at least those in our own social or political clan. This is why most people, according to a recent survey, prefer real people over actors in commercials. It's just more authentic. The writer of our psalm today is a real person, just like you and I. Not a professional musician, not hired to sing praise to God. This person is the real deal. Reading Psalm 111, we get the feeling that the writer might be a millennial texting or posting on social media all about God. Maybe he has his own YouTube channel, and this psalm is a recording of his. Maybe he even has an acoustic guitar, and he, he sings this psalm, and it is a song. 
But this psalm is not just some random text thrown together to praise God. It is a work of art. This song has 22 phrases, excluding that first part of verse 1, which says, praise the Lord. Each phrase after that begins with the successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Just like we were doing it, we'd start with A and go to B and C. Each line starts with a letter of that alphabet. In just 175 words, the singer of this psalm summarizes the whole history of God and the deliverance of ancient Israel. This psalm is the writer's poetic praise to God. Psalm 111 is not a, a voiceover by some paid performer. There's nothing fake about what you're reading. The writer is real, and the writer is impressed by God. And he wants to tell us, he wants to ask us to buy this, to buy in to who God is. So what does he say? Well, we obviously have to start with those first three words. Praise the Lord, which is also literally hallelujah, or what we would say, hallelujah. The psalm is a praise song to God. It's all about God. It's not about us. And that's the essence of our worship. When we come to worship, it's about God. We might have had a really enormous and stressful week. We might have some family issues. We might have to deal with our boss or, or something else. But when we come together in worship, to worship, it's all about God. So we start with verse 1, praise the Lord. I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the counsel of the upright and in the assembly. It's one thing to praise God in the, the privacy of our own homes or in our thoughts. But God loves it when his children come together publicly and offer praise. God wants us to be real people, not actors. That kind of witness or testimony is believable. It has credibility. So the writer is not going to worship hoping to, to get something from God, hoping to get something that might help him wiggle out of some tight spot or give him courage in some issue. The psalmist is focusing on God. That's his goal. That is his worship of God. So in essence, verse 1 is the writer's thesis statement, if you will. And then it's followed by a bunch of assertions about God, examples to support that assertion, and then a conclusion, mainly his call to action. So let's take a look at some of these. When you prepared a paper for one of your classes in school, you often had to start with a thesis statement, right? And then you had to follow it up with assertions and then conclusions. The writer of the psalm does the same thing. Praise the Lord, I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the counsel of the upright and in the assembly. This verse describes what the writer intends to do in the rest of the psalm. He's going to praise the Lord. So that thesis of praising the Lord is then followed by all these assertions that the works of the Lord are great. And people who love God's work actually study them examine them in detail. They look at every aspect of the works of God. They take them apart, they analyze them, they speculate, 
They hypothesize and then they praise God. And they are joyful in that praise. The people are in awe and wonder of God. These are the writer's assertions in verse 2. Then he moves on and argues that these creative wonders of God project the honor and majesty of the one who created them. And that God's marvelous deeds have earned God a well-deserved reputation in the world. This is the God of enduring righteousness. Moreover, God is gracious, merciful, and compassionate. To sum it up, the writer asserts that God is a God of wonderful deeds, and they're clothed in grace and in mercy. What we read and hear is what the psalmist says about God. What do you say about God? If I were to ask you to put together a 240-character piece praising God, what would you say? And I would tell you it would be cheating for you to go ahead and copy and paste Psalm 111. I'm asking you to think about a 240-character piece that you write about praising God. If you copied and pasted Psalm 11, 111, that would be like hiring a professional actor to say something on your behalf. What would you, the real person, say if asked to offer an endorsement of God? I know you would probably start with PTL, right? PTL, praise the Lord. But then what? As you're sitting here, my guess is you're thinking, wow, this is going to be a difficult exercise. And if it isn't, that's good. But if it might be tough, maybe we're not really close enough or engaged enough and connected to God enough to really put it down on paper. And if that happens, maybe you won't have the, the real and honest and authentic words that need to be shared. Sometimes when we do it, what we say sounds fake. And people, especially younger people of our population, can spot fakes in an instant. In fact, this is one problem millennials and, and the Gen Z population have with real people commercials. Sometimes the real people in the commercials are not real enough for them. So the question for you and I is, are we real? Or are we just trying to appear that way? The writer continues to provide examples to support his assertion that God is a, a God of wonderful deeds. His examples are God provides food, keeps promises, shows his power to other people and nations. God is faithful, just, and trustworthy. God sent salvation and redemption to his people. And we get the sense then that the author of this song could have kept on writing. Maybe he kept it brief because he was running out of his own alphabet. Maybe he had to start over at the beginning if he did. But even if he just stuck with the alphabet, the psalmist had more than enough material about his own experience with God to work with his assertions. God provided food, a reference to the Israelites' experience in the wilderness when manna and quail sustained them for so many years. God provided water in the desert, which is nothing short of amazing. God also kept the covenant with them. A covenant that began with Abraham and renewed at Sinai. 
God's works were never private, but very public for all to see. Neighboring nations then learned of the great God of the Hebrews. God is faithful, just, and trustworthy was a reference not only to how God delivered the Israelites time and time again, but to the law and the righteousness of God and the expectations that God had for his people. And lastly, the writer says that God saved them, redeemed them from destruction. If this is an, an example of wonderful deeds, then, then what is? All of these examples are convincing, even considered one at a time. Even if you had just one of these examples to support the contention that God is a God of wonderful deeds that are clothed in grace and mercy, would it be enough for you to write about? We know the writer didn't stop there. He emphasized the eternal nature of all of these wonderful attributes of God. Did you notice the expression as we were going through it together that ever and forever popped up five times? In verse 3, his righteousness endures forever. In verse 5, he remembers his covenant forever. In verse 8, all his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever. In verse 9, he ordained his covenant forever. And in verse 10, his praise endures forever. Imagine the writer peering into a camera, a real person, recording this message, saying, take it from me. If you trust in God, you can be sure that God will keep the covenant with you, that God will be your forever friend. God doesn't go back or take back, retract or redact, deny or dismiss. So the ancient real person psalmist then wraps it all up. And the conclusion he suggests to us should now be pretty obvious. He says the evidence is overwhelming. Holy and awesome is his name. But this is his conclusion. It's not ours. In the final verses he says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This fear is not some frady cat kind of fear. It's not a a knee-knocking fear we might experience trying to be like the Walendas walking a, a tightrope between the two parts of Niagara Falls. This fear is about respect and appreciation for God. In other words, the writer is trying to say, if you're really smart, you'll buy what I'm selling about God, and it's up to you now. When you buy in, you'll begin the process of wisdom he says, and your way to a good and a better understanding of God. That's what the psalmist says. That's his testimony. He starts with praise the Lord and he ends with his praise endures forever. Nathaniel Hawthorne in the book The Scarlet Letter wrote this. No man for any considerable period can wear one face to himself and another to the multitude without finally getting bewildered as to which may be the true. As I read that quote this week, it reminded me of a story about a little girl whose grandfather had come to visit her quite often. They lived quite a distance from each other. And this trip that they were going on together was the first trip 
this little girl had gone with her parents on this long travel to the grandfather's house. It was also the first time she would go to church and the first time she would see her grandfather in his role as a pastor. As the service began, little Susan saw her grandfather processing down the aisle in his robe and his stole and his cross. And she tugged on her mother's sleeve and asked, what is grandpa pretending to be? Maybe that's what we ought to be asking after we review Psalm 111. What are we pretending to be? Are we real people of faith with each other? Are we real people of faith with the people we come in contact with every day and in our community? What is our church's witness and testimony saying to the community around us? What's your personal testimony about God? We are called to be real people, not actors, in our relationships with each other. People are looking for real people of faith, authentic people, people who are not showing off, not putting on airs of superiority or self-righteousness or hypocrisy. We need to be positive about what we're saying. So do you, as a child of God, have anything to say about God? Do we as a church have anything to say about God? I may be the pastor of this church, but my vocation, my calling, is not as a hired actor to do your worship and praise for you. You and I, all of us, are called to be real people of faith, not actors in how we worship and how we praise and how we give thanks to God each and every day. By being real here and out there, People all around us will know the wonders and the glory of God. So as you think about Psalm 111 today, I would challenge you to go home and read it again. And I'll even give you the start to write a testimony about God. Three words. Praise the Lord. The rest is up to you. Don't copy and paste the psalm, but consider your testimony. Consider how you would write something like the psalm writer about how you can praise God and witness to God's wonderful deeds so that others will know about them. How do you speak about people and to people in real life about who God is? We need to have that answer. Peter even says, be prepared to share your testimony about why you have this hope. We need to be able to speak that truth of what we think about God. We did it in reading together Psalm 111. Now what's the psalm of your life? And how are you going to begin to write it today and share it for the rest of your life? Amen.